Welcome to Heavy Strategy. This is a podcast where we just talk about strategic issues, taking a high-level view. We're not here to try and make up the mind for you. We're just talking about the topics to find out which is the two possible ways that we can head into a particular issue. And today's topic is software-defined technology, using software on top of your hardware. We're seeing a, 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 a fork in the road of solutions. This is a very, very broad statement. And some vendors want to sell you hardware, so you can only use their software defined if you go and buy their brand new hardware and you replace your replace your existing equipment. So throw the brownfield out, you forklift out your existing solution and you create a greenfield and then you run your software defined on top of that. And there are advantages and disadvantages to that. But we're also seeing the emergence of something much more interesting, which is a group of software defined technologies which work with your brownfield, if you like. Uh, and one of the interesting things to my mind is that when you work with a brownfield, you also work with what I sometimes think of as any field. If you're once you're working with a brownfield or an incumbent, most of the vendors who bring brownfield SDN or, or software defined or you know software control are also willing to embrace cloud or cloud field, as I sometimes call it. Whether it's on or off, whether it's other people's stuff or not other people. When you, when you have a vendor who's selling you greenfield or as they call them internally, Goldfield, to Goldfield opportunity because you can make money. So there's a divergence there. So Jonah and I are going to go over that today. There's the premise. We've got a divergent sort of set of solutions going in to the left or right. What do you think? Where, where do you want to kick off the conversation? Well, first of all, I'd like to highlight the fact that you really called this high-level view of low-level stuff. So just something to keep in mind. I like that you have the fork in the road for solutions. I would argue that the fork actually goes in multiple directions. You know, there there is a very clear differentiator between people who want to sell you hardware and people who don't want to sell you hardware. And that is a very clear distinction. But there's kind of a gradation in between. You know, there are some solutions that work perfectly fine and don't care what your what your hardware is at all. Hmm. Some solutions work more optimally with certain hardware rather than not. And some, as you said, are kind of, let's bring in new boxes for you. Yeah. Um, you know, I love that you kicked this off by saying there's no one right answer because as listeners may have noticed, I have a proclivity to tell people what the right answer is. But in this case, I heartily agree, agree there really isn't a right answer. One thing, though, that I found very interesting with software-defined perimeter, which is, you know, on the cybersecurity side and zero trust is that based on the research that we've done, it turns out that re-architecting everything is something that shouldn't happen at the beginning of the process if you want to align with success by various success metrics. Um, and that surprised me because, mm -hmm. you know, I tend to be more of the throw everything out and start over if you're doing something new, which of course is not, you know, it's not financially possible for many large, most large enterprises, but it does have the advantage of getting rid of technical debt. Clearing out technical debt is a good thing. So if you've got 20-year-old assets on the ground designed to a different standard, maybe the performance is low, maybe you've even got physical degradation, chips don't last forever. Well, actually, it's not so much chips, but power supplies. <laughs> Other things, olden day power supplies used to degrade. Fans, anything that moves. <laughs> yeah, I've been speaking with people who've got factories that have to run 365 days a year and they get one shutdown once a year you know, there's only so much they can achieve. So one of the things that rarely gets changed is the network. They want to automate the network. They need to be able to change it and to adapt it. It's not like these infrastructures are not flex, you know, they still flex, they still need to change, but they can't take anything out. How do you automate 
something that's in place that can't be physically replaced because the cabling would require the whole plant to be shut down because of the monitoring. That's a reality for a lot of people. Well, and it's interesting because we're actually doing some research as we speak into the whole network automation space because it's a real, as you point out, it's a real pain point, not just for manufacturing companies, but also, for example, retail companies who make, you know, 90% of their revenue between, at least in the U.S., between Thanksgiving and Christmas, which is insane to me to have to engineer to that. Um, (laughs) But, you know, coming back to this, I think my natural inclination in this case is to assess solutions that require a minimal amount of hardware re-engineering for all the reasons we're talking about here, keeping in mind that that may possibly end up with, you know, feature reduction. And I don't know that that's the case. I mean, you know, Greg, you're closer to this than I am because you look at this a lot. Hmm. Do you really think that the solutions that require hardware replacement are actually better functionally than the ones that don't? I think there's a couple of things in there. I think one of them is that it's a goldfield opportunity for vendors. So the vendors see it as a way to sell you something that you may or may not need. And so you'll get get a lot more attention from a vendor because it's going to be a bigger number. Selling hard, they all talk about subscription revenue and being software and being cloud ready, but nothing beats the, uh, the the upfront cash flow of a lot of hardware sales servers, storage, whatever, right? And there's plenty of companies that are addicted to that that model and don't really want to go away from it. And as you pointed out, the converse of that, of course, is if you're sitting on obsolete equipment, maybe you actually want to throw it out. The advantage of it is that you get modern hardware that's got modern features. It'll be probably got API-driven. It's got telemetry features probably built into both the hardware and the operating system of the device. So we see servers, a modern server now has a way different approach to temperature monitoring, power monitoring. The BMC that's on board is delivering a lot more capabilities. The firmware in the BMC is API ready. Whereas if you've got a brownfield, you might be CLI scraping or the or you might be using obsolete APIs like SNMP or something like that. So there is an advantage. If you've got modern hardware, you get access to more configuration options, more information. You get access to be able to feed into a telemetry or a logging system. One of the illities, you know, observability type of stuff. Uh, you know, so yeah, I'm not I'm not averse to the idea of replacing everything. I think customers should spend more on technology and replacing stuff is not a bad way to do it. I think I think you kind of hit on something incredibly important, Greg, and maybe something we can tease out to think about, which is when you're trying to assess whether you need a full rebuild with your SDX, if you want to call it that, hmm. one of the things to look at is the not only the current state of your physical hardware, but also the desired state. You know, if you really would like to automate the temperature and physical controls, and you aren't in a position to do that, then yeah, now is an excellent time to justify it. And there's all sorts of ways you can you can build that cost model by doing something as simple as sitting down with your facilities folks and figuring out that you could save XYZ on electricity by, you know, yeah. optimizing. Mm-hmm. So I think that there's a there's a cost model there or business case there that might not exist for newer stuff or if you know, optimizing environmental, the environmental scenario isn't a goal. So I think that's actually a really interesting side point to talk about. When I look at software-defined solutions that manage a bit of everything, so if we look at VMware, which is trying to manage containers and VMs, and then they've added the networking part to it, and they've got some sort of standardized APIs, you know, they've got the NSX product doing the thing. And then what happens is the whole thing becomes a bit of a jumble. It doesn't, it starts to lose its focus and starts to come apart, if you know what I'm saying. 
Mm-hmm. It's a bit like cloud these days. Cloud in the old days was really, really simple. You had this object storage. You could get some VMs. There was networking and boom, away you go. But now it's like a mainframe. This enormously complicated front end. You've got hundreds of potential services. And every time you turn them on, you know, the sales rep knocks on your door and says, here you go. Here's another invoice for the new feature you've just well, enabled. Well, I, I actually, it just sort of shows up on your bill. But I would also argue that, you know, one of the big complexifiers, if I can call it that, for cloud mm. is multi-cloud because everybody sort of took the same general path, which is I'm test driving with AWS or Amazon and later I'll migrate over to Azure. And, you know, and Azure, you know, always, as Microsoft, always plays fast catch-up. Um, so they they showed up, and so then people said, "Well, my multi cloud strategy is now some combination of, you know, Amazon and Azure, and maybe some Google or Oracle, and then my SaaS." And now all of a sudden, mm. you've moved into you know multi cloud. Now you've heavily complexified. I don't think the problem is quite the same when it comes to SDX that you're going to get this level of complexity. But it really is kind of a balancing act because if you've got an enormous amount of technical debt sitting there, you are probably better off doing a complete rebuild. And at that point, you might as well take advantage of what the, you know, what the vendors are offering, particularly if it comes to this area of energy optimization, environmental optimization, you can call it that. But if you're like most folks and you're farther along the path and, you know, you may have some technical debt, but honestly, your network isn't, you know, the oldest and creakiest there is out there, it would tend towards more of the opposite conclusion. And again, it's a spectrum. It's not really a one or the other where you'd want to bring in a solution that can work with whatever you've got with perhaps a strategy to get to where you're going. And I'm stra- yeah. I'm putting strategy in air quotes because, you know, the great thing about a strategy, uh, a 50-slide PowerPoint deck is a whole lot less expensive than, you know, $50 million for networking gear. So strategies are always a good way to kick the can down the road. <laughs> the other aspect of this, of course, is supply chain. We've seen supply chains absolutely crumble. Right. And we're seeing hardware supply times go from two months to four months to six months. And I've heard stories of over a year starting yeah, for new orders. Oh, yeah. abs- absolutely. Uh, we're, we're hearing that too. And mm. that's another thing to think about. It's tactical, but relevant, you yeah. know, because if, you, if you're one of those companies with a very narrow window when you can make changes and your supplier misses that window, you are, not to put too fine a point on it, screwed. So it may be worthwhile to have a strategy that doesn't have such tight tolerances in the near term. You may actually want a software-defined piece of infrastructure or a software-defined operational stuff that works with your existing because you can actually deliver it. You can actually get the operational benefit now. Um, Now, I I would like to point out that from what I can see and from the vendors that I've spoken to in this space who are sort of saying, I can automate your existing infrastructure, it's not easy. It is easier to replace you rip and replace, green, you know, get the forklift in, take everything out, put a gold field down and start fresh. You know, APIs, everything's brand new, everything's configured exactly according to best practices in theory, even though best practices are mostly a way for vendors to put their hand deeper into your pockets. I think that orchestrating the brownfield means you've got to do a lot more heavy work to make it go, but you are uniquely equipped to do that because it's actually a network that you exist in, you operate now. You actually understand what the automation is doing? You know, as you were talking about this, I kind of pulled together the, the thought that was kind of bubbling in the back of my brain, which is this. Mm-hmm. If you're actually doing the transition today from, you know, not SDN or not SDX to, you know, fully software defined, 
you're also making a parallel implicit transition from your hardware vendor as your key strategic partner to your software vendor as a key strategic partner. Um, and it's not an immediate transition. It's one that you can always back out of. It's something mm-hmm. that you can take baby steps towards. But the thing that is really relevant to me in this transition is if your software vendor can do the hard thing, i.e., pull together your disparate heterogeneous network of crunchy stuff, you know, Greg, as you said, it was hard. Mm. If they can do the hard thing, then you can trust them with the easy thing downstream. And that's actually a good acid test for that vendor, whether they should become your strategic partner, which ends up being kind of an interesting shift overall. I think what we're seeing is that most of the vendors that used to sell hardware sell SDX on top of the hardware. They're not moving too far out of what they've been doing before. So it's that doing the same thing over and over type of thing that especially when you're you're a brand you know remember when coca-cola changed its coke and everybody got up Mm -hmm. in arms right yep absolutely and it's like oh my god new coke no wait that's right we can't do it yeah and and there's definitely an angle in it when you see your existing vendors like the incumbent brands start to say oh we're going to do something new and customers kind of lose their minds and, mm-hmm. you know, like when Cisco moved into storage networking, people got really upset. And when HPE got into selling storage arrays uh, of a certain type that compete with EMC, people lost their con- collective minds. Yeah, they're, 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 yeah. Mm-hmm. And there was all yeah, this no. like, oh, you can't, you can't do that. You're not equipped to bloody, bloody, blah. Do you know what I mean? It's like. Right, I, well, and, and I think to a certain extent, they're actually right. And that's another reason to sort of consider the software only solutions. Mm. Because a vendor that starts its life with its DNA being hardware may talk a good game about digital transformation and shifting to a software-only model and virtualizing everything. But at the end of the day, it's still a hardware company with hardware margins and hardware mindset and hardware salespeople as opposed to a software company, which starts with a very different DNA. And obviously, everyone always, throughout the history of all technology, always ends up doing both. There's just no way to get around it. I mean, even Google, the quintessential hardware company sells, a software company sells hardware. So it's it's just, it's fascinating to me that the thing that might actually drive software-operated infrastructure or software, more of this automation ops without actually upgrading the hardware, might actually be the supply chain. Yes, I think you're absolutely correct. Yeah, and it will also change the dynamics of the market because it might create the reception that, and something that is perhaps a little overdue, is that the hardware doesn't matter. People have sort of over-rotated on hardware because, the you know, we've been buying hardware and we send it. Mm-hmm. It's a bit like buying a car. I think we've had, I've given this metaphor before. When you go shopping for a car, you know, they talk to you about the, it's got 16.5-inch wheels with 8-inch wide to give you extra traction on the road. The engine's got an amazing carburetor. And, I, you know, like, as soon as you get in the car and drive it home, do you actually ever think of those things again? Actually, what's interesting when you said that, short answer is no. But mm. then again, I never paid any attention to the hardware. I remember probably a good decade ago, easily a good decade ago, actually, it's probably more like 15 years, I remember renting a car when I was traveling and realizing that this car was not actually a car. It was a network node because it had OnStar and it had this and it had that. And I realized, you know, that it's computational and networking capabilities were infinitely more interesting to me than any of the hardware engine, whatever cylinders, blah, woof. When I actually (laughs) bought a car, that's actually how I evaluated it. How many networks did it hook into? How easy was it to control Mm. access to those networks and how useful were those to me? So my head was already moving towards the software defined, you know, 15 years ago, but it's a good analogy. I've been in so many 
you know, vendor evaluations in the buying cycle and we got all bent out of shape around blah bloody blah and then and later on it was just like no one cares. <laughs> really? Yeah, exactly, exactly. Does it does it have more go fast? And really the only things that actually mattered was fuel efficiency, maintenance, and going fast doesn't actually matter because you spend most of your time going to the supermarket or picking up the kids. Well, and and then coming back to hardware in this example, because I'm still chewing on the thing you tossed out at the beginning of this Mm -hmm. conversation, which was, hey, you could potentially have energy savings. One of the really hard things in making a decision, using that as a a point to make the decision, is usually the energy savings come out of somebody else's budget, which is the facility's budget, which is always a problem because if you're the IT guy and you come in and say, you know, Bob will save a whole ton more money, but... I'm going to cost you money, (laughs) then usually your proposal gets shot down, which is part of a bigger issue, which is I think people need to really be thinking about facilities and on-premise hardware in exactly the same budget, which is totally downgrading um, networking hardware because instead of being this whizzy new incredible technology, it's kind of you know, literally part of the woodwork at this point, but that's also the next natural technology evolution. And the other challenge you've got with software is that sometimes you get the software, like if you buy a software-defined perimeter solution, mm-hmm. it's software-defined is radically different from your SD-WAN solution if you're using one of yes. those, right? Which is different from your software-defined data center, which is I, different from your software-defined branch. I was wondering when we were going to get to that because there's no easy integration between the different vendor solutions, let alone a single vendor that does a decent job in all those things. You know, to be fair, it is a very diverse piece of tech. Some of those things yeah. are diverse. At this point in time, each of those solves a different problem. My general sense of it is that all of that is converging on a single solution. So, yeah, and we're seeing the we're seeing the early part of that when you see enterprises ask for combined SOC knock because they want to start managing everything together, and eventually they'll be in, in managing their environmental, you know, IoT OC, <laughs> IOC, or whatever the next new you know yeah. buzzword is going to be. But I, yeah, I do think this is a very topical topic because one of the things we've been doing is asking our clients what you know is front and center in their minds for 2022. We sort of tossed in enterprise uh, enterprise automation as kind of a wild card, and to my surprise, it's been bubbling to the top of everybody's top three mm. for next year. So I think you, as usual, it might be Greg, a, might be because they realize that it's the only thing they're going to get done. No, they're not going to be actually, buying new storage arrays. They're not going to be buying new servers. They're not going to be buying new switches. They're not going to be buying extra hard yeah, but drives. That's, Everything's just but that's software such a, next year. That's just such a 1990s worldview. I mean, most of my folks are doing some very cutting edge stuff with software exclusive of network automation or automation, enterprise automation. It's not... You know, it's not like there's enterprise automation and it it encompasses everything. There's enterprise automation and lots of other things they can be doing. It's just interesting that that's bubbled to the top of the Mm. other things that they're doing. I think the other challenge that I have is that a lot of enterprises still think of things as point solutions. I'm going to automate my storage. I'm going to automate my VMs. I'm going to automate my network. Network. Yeah. Or even more point, I'm going to automate the Cisco gear on my network, which is like, why are you even thinking that? I'm going to get out my Python Ansible and I'm going to solve one tiny fraction of my overall issues. Yeah. So at the, at the risk of trying to boil everything up, it Mm. sounds like we've loudly and vigorously come to, you know, come to a conclusion on, you know, new build or not, which is, it depends. Well, it does depend. Yeah. And I think increasingly I would just, the one last thing that I point out is that for a lot of these software defined solutions, don't get uh, trapped in looking southbound. That is, what does it control? What does it do? 
keep an eye out for northbound APIs. Like you might want to buy a software-defined controller for SDP, but you might want to use Terraform on that to do the provisioning so that you can unify the SDP with your AWS deployment, perhaps. Oh, dear God, Greg, um, thank you for saying that. And more broadly, think about if you are trying to manage the entire environment from a consolidated dashboard, what is that dashboard getting fed with by whom? And then exactly as you're saying, who do you need to feed with your information? So yeah, don't just look southbound, do look northbound. Excellent point. The point solution that you're deploying today will be part of what I sometimes think of as a federated solution. Don't getting into my analyst talk here federated it's 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 true but fortunately for me i'm thinking federation and i'm thinking star wars so we're good (laughs) i think we've taken this conversation as far as it can go uh all right so uh i think we'll wrap it up there because it's really just a very a slice in time discussion today for this one i think it's topical because of the supply chain which i think is actually going to be leading a lot of our strategy for the next two two to four years i think it i think what do you think? Is it going to be two years, four years, six years? I don't know, Greg, but I would I, I would tend towards it's either going to be on, on the low end or it's going to be forever. Um, mm-hmm. And the two factors that will affect that are if it's the low end, it's a bunch of kinks that are going to work themselves out as vendors start to get their arms around it, as we've talked about in previous shows. Mm. If, however, there's a fundamental instability that can't, you know, that's bigger than supply chains, it's an economic geopolitical instability, Mm -hmm. uh, we could be in for a long haul. And I like to pretend that's not possibly happening. So I'm going to go with shorter end, two years. My instinct is two years and we'll see things be mitigated. But I think structurally, there's just some of the issues that underlying it are just so fundamental. It's between the, you know, the geopolitics of what's happening between China, Russia, Europe and the and the and the USA, and the shift that that that's going on there, uh, and the dominance of the Taiwanese semiconductor manufacturing, it has to be undermined. But you can't build new fabs in anything less than about six years. Yep, I would absolutely agree with that. And I think Intel, as you talked about on a on a previous episode, Intel is taking the long view, and they're they may are they maybe are hoping for two years, but they're planning for infinite and. I fear they're correct, but I'm going to stay relentlessly focused on the positive and say it's going to be about two years. On that note, uh, this has been Heavy Strategy. I'm Greg Farrow. And I'm Jonna Johnson. Heavy Strategy, high-level view of low-level stuff. Not trying to tell you what to do. We're just trying to talk about it and come up with crazy ideas to get you thinking. Thanks for listening.